Greetings, friends. It's a blessing to come to you again and just bring you the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of his grace. Thank you for slotting in and joining me as I'm about to just serve you with the grace message, the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is all about empowering you and uh, enabling you to share in the life of God by the doing of God. Dynamic Love Ministries is a ministry that focuses on the gospel, and the gospel is defined as the good news that there was a man that lived, died, he was buried, he was physically raised from the dead, and he is called the Christ. His rulership is therefore on the earth in and into, unto us, bringing forth his life into us, and so we share in the life of God under his rule. It's not about what we do for God. It's about God's life towards us, bringing forth uh, who he is in us. It's basically what Jesus Christ talked about when he said, it is not uh, the good works you see me do. It's not what I do, but it is the Father's work. Even when they came to Jesus and said to him, good Lord, you know, or good master, what shall we do to inherit eternal life? He says, why do you call me good? There's only one that is good and that is God. And there he declared his dependency uh, and his, uh, his reliance upon the Father to even bring the very life of God forth in him. He declared it. So very same with us. We are saying, and this is what we are preaching in Dynamic Love Ministries, we are preaching the dynamics of the love of God. So if that is what you want to hear, if that is what you are uh, into, if that's your thing, this is going to be awesome. If that is something that you have never been presented with and is being put on the table through this message to you, sit back and uh, study it out, listen to what I've got to say, and I'm sure this will enrich your life greatly. Uh, we are going to pray together and then we're going to get right into today's message. We're going to be looking at Galatians. We're also going to have a quick look at what we've had last week, First Corinthians chapter 4 um, and some other verses. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much that I can come today and sit here and minister this gospel, this good news to people that will be watching this all over the world right now, this Sunday, this coming week, and also as long as what it is available on, uh, on the internet. Uh, thank you so much for that, Lord. Thank you that I can minister knowing your faithfulness towards us. Thank you that you are a good God and that you want to just serve your people as always. Thank you for using me in doing just that, Lord. Amen and amen. Right, last week we spoke a little bit about the power, or the, yeah, the power of works innocence. Um, I've worded that uh, this, this way now, but what it basically boils down to is that we can judge ourselves as innocent as pertaining to our works and as pertaining to even our ministry and how faithful we are in ministry and the motives of our heart and all those kind of things. And even should we find ourselves innocent, uh, we are not justified by that. It is not what gives us life. I'm going to read this passage. It's in First Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to just recap a little bit on what 
I said last week, and then we're going to get into this week's message. So here we go. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. So uh, Paul basically comes and he's basically arguing and he's saying to the people, listen, if you want to judge me as a preacher, this is how you should judge me if you want to judge me. Uh, we are here as servants of Christ. That's why I'm here. I'm not here as a servant of myself. I'm not here to grow my ministry. I'm not here to use you in any form or fashion. I've got no hidden motive uh, with you as pertaining to uh, trying to exploit you or make use of you, get money from you, or any of those things. I'm now using those words because we're going to look at cross-references in Second Corinthians 7 and so forth, uh, where he talks about this, Second Corinthians 12 and so forth, where he says, I did not come to make money out of you. I didn't ask you anything. I worked with my own hands and so forth. He says, I didn't put a, 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 an expectation of you that you must care for me or anything like that. Basically arrived there uh, on his own and that is what he did. And whenever Paul went and he preached in different places, he uh, should he have received money or something like that, it was by people that freely gave it out of the abundance of their hearts, not grudgingly, and they would basically make the suggestion and they would give. They would give. That is what this was basically, what Paul was talking about, the kind of character that he had when he came to these people. He says here, uh, this then is how you ought to regard us. So if you want to think of us, think of us as servants of Christ and those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. So the parameters wherein you want to see if we are men of God or not is basically uh, we have been entrusted with the mysteries, that which was not known, which has now been revealed, which is Christ as the Messiah unto all people, which was that the political systems of that day was not the tool through which God brings salvation. That salvation was uh, available for all through the Messiah, which was Jesus Christ, that no person is disqualified based on not being part of the Jewish system and so forth. I mean, there's a lot that we can say about that. But he says, regard us as servants of Christ. In other words, we are here to serve you with uh, and inside the kingdom of the Christ. Now, by that, he already uh, draws on what these people already know. What they already knew about Christ and what he preached uh, to them when he started the churches in, in Corinth, when he preached there, was that uh, Jesus, the man, born from Mary, died, was buried, was raised from the dead, and that he is now Lord, uh, and that all authority has been given unto him, that he is the inauguration of the kingdom of God, that he is the temple of God, that he entered into the rest of God, meaning he rules now. Resting doesn't mean you do nothing. Resting means that you now entered into the place where, it's, where you're not working, where you are ruling. Working would be likened to a country trying to uh, overtake another country. 
And then it's like what's basically happening with Russia and one of the neighboring countries now. They want to take over another country. It seems, I don't know if I get it, get it accurately, but uh, so they're working at uh, taking over another nation. But let's say it is the case. I'm not sure on, on the news on that. Let's say it, it be the case. Um, then they will be working. But once they've conquered the other nation, then they'll enter their rest. Rest would mean that they now rule there. And then the way it would be in Russia would be the way it would be there. Their rulership would be there. Um, their kingdom has now therefore come. So here, when we, when we are servants of Christ, Paul says, we are servants of the fact uh, and of what is brought forth by the fact that this man Jesus was raised from the dead. He conquered Israel. He conquered Rome. He conquered sin in the flesh. He conquered death. He poured out his spirit, which teaches us all things, which we're going to look at today as well. Um, and that is what we minister. We minister the hidden truths of the gospel, what the law was truly about, uh, what the fulfillment of the law truly is, who the true Lord is. Uh, who the true king is and how that pertains to us and how it gives life as a free gift, how it sets you free from idol worship, how it sets you free from ignorance, how it sets you free from the law, how it sets you free from sin in the flesh, how you have a holy life as a free gift. It is the message of grace. So what he says here is that if you want to count us as servants, and I want to say this to all of you as well, if you want to judge my ministry or judge me, uh, look as if I'm a servant of Christ. What am I serving you with? Am I serving you with Christ or am I serving you with methods whereby we try to get things to work? Am I serving you with the Old Testament laws and systems? Am I serving you with guilt and condemnation? What am I serving you with? Am I serving you with the mysteries that God has revealed in the resurrected Christ. Now, it says here that it's required that those who have been given trust must prove faithful. So it says it's required that I, and talking about myself here, and Paul said the same thing about himself, is that I would be found faithful. Faithful to what? Faithful to the gospel of grace, just to put it in simple words. Faithful to preaching the love of God. Faithful to preaching the resurrection of Jesus and its effect. That is the love of God. Faithful to preaching a God that regards, uh, that, 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 that honors humanity, that loves people, that serves people, that brought forth the Christ to serve man with life. Faithful to preach God as the promise giver and the promise keeper, whereby you will have life by his promise. Faithful to the gospel that was preached by Paul or that he mentions as the gospel of God, the good news of Christ, his very own gospel, Paul says, which is that Jesus was revealed, raised from the dead. That is what this, what, what this is all about. So we must be found faithful. In other words, what we do should be from a pure motive as pertaining to these things. That's what he says here. And then he goes on. Now, let me just give a bit of background there again. Because people were, were saying, you know, there are better apostles than Paul. You know, we now have Barnabas and we have uh, Peter that has come here and we've got other super apostles they know better and so forth. So he says, listen, man, maybe there are other people that you think that are better. But if you want to judge preachers, 
Do it based on the doctrine they teach. Do it. That's what you do. Are they servants of Christ? Have they come to serve you? Are they the people sent by Christ to serve you? Do you get the feeling that they are serving you? Or are you getting the feeling you're basically serving them? That's what, what he's talking about here. He says, are they carrying and the mysteries and now reveal the mysteries uh, that of, of God, which was revealed in Christ, which was that the man that was born of a virgin is the Messiah and so forth. He's not talking about being a mystic here. He's not also not talking about being a Gnostic, wherein you now reveal hidden knowledge uh, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the mysteries of God that has now been revealed in the resurrected Christ, who God really is, who he was for, and so forth. He says we must be faithful to those things. But now he goes on, and he says how he lives his life. And I want to say that's how I live this as well. He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Uh, indeed, I do not even judge myself. So he says, I care very little, uh, basically about, this is now f from the perspective of a person that is faithful towards Jesus. He says, I live my life towards Christ and what he's done. I'm not living my life based on, you cannot form my emotions and my feelings by your opinion about how faithful I am to this. But it is required that one should be faithful. But I don't have my life born from your opinion. Then he goes on and he says here, neither do I have my life born from that of a human court. And that is so true. And I think one should know this. People's opinions change. I've had people come to me and, you know, rebuke me one day, the next day love me and say back to you. Now, I wouldn't say next day. I would say six months later, listen to the messages and say back to you, what a wonderful gospel. And then I just still stick to that gospel until today for them to go later on and change their mind again and say I'm a heretic because I'm not preaching that all people are already saved or something like that or I'm not preaching that uh, people of all that all roads of all religions lead to salvation or something like that and they they change one day they judge you and say wow well, you 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 the best but it's, their opinion cannot give me life their opinion cannot bring me to life even if they agree with me and think i'm i'm the best preacher there is well you know thank you for you know loving me and all of that but I cannot regard that as life-giving to me. What gives me life is the resurrected Christ. People change. Doctrines and churches change. And the same with human courts. Paul says it's a little thing. It's not that it's no thing at all, but it's a little thing for him to be judged by, by people's opinions about him, if he's faithful or not, or even a human court. Now, <clears throat> so many things, so many times people think the final say is what a, a court, a judge has, or even the constitutional court has, or whatever. Constitutions change. Not long ago in South Africa, it was illegal for a black man to live in certain neighborhoods in South Africa. It was illegal. It was against the law, by South African law, to marry uh, 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 people of an opposite race or different of another race. A, a white and black couldn't marry. It was illegal. 
you can be punished for that by law. Now, that law then changed to a certain democracy, and now it's got its laws. And now it can, uh, I can stand before that court, and it can judge me. And it can say, oh, well, guilty or innocent or whatever. And then in five years or 10 years or 50 years from now, the court realizes, no, they need to bring amendments and change things and whatever. The, the people's opinion, court's opinion, even if they are right, does not have the power to give life. That's why Paul says, it's a small thing for me to be judged by you or a human court or any of those kind of things. And so many times I think we want to live like that. We want to judge where we are as Christians based on what human courts and constitutions say. No. Uh, and also what they say about our faithfulness to be contextually right. So I just want to say to you uh, and make this uh, serve you with this today that it's a, it's a small thing meaning that another person's opinion of how good a Christian you are and how faithful you are to the good news and so forth is of very little value as pertaining to giving you life, to bring the judgment unto life. It, it cannot do that. Neither a human court or any of those kind of things. So regard it for what it's worth. But just know, Paul goes even further. He says, indeed, I do not even judge myself. Uh, and I've just put here in my notes in brackets, I don't have the power to execute judgment to render life even unto myself. So even if I think that I'm fully faithful to the gospel, my thoughts about it cannot, and, and my judgment, if I'm faithful or not, is not what gives me life. What gives me life at the end of the day is the Spirit of God. He is the one. It is what God brings forth. He says in verse 4, he says, My conscience is clear, but that does not justify me. It is the Lord who judges me. It is the Lord is the one that his view, his opinion, him sticking to his true judgment, which is to bring life to me. He's the one that gives me life. And I think that is very powerful. Paul says his conscience is clear. Second Corinthians 7, uh, let's look at that. Um, talking about a clear conscience. To give an example of that as pertaining to ministry. I hope I've got the right verse here. It says, you make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. Isn't that beautiful? It says, make room in our hearts. We have wronged no one. So Paul basically saying here, he says, I want to say that as, if you want to judge me, you might think that I've wronged someone. A human court might think that I've wronged someone. But I don't even judge myself, knowing that should I make a judgment if I'm right and wrong, if I do that, what use is that for if I find myself as innocent it's not going to justify me. The only source of life is Jesus Christ. So let him be the judge of what's going on in my heart. I believe upon him and trust that he is faithful towards sinners. He's faithful towards even the weak. He's faithful towards me and that he will keep what he has said about me and bring it forth in my life. 
Many times we can think, you know, you're a father, you're a mother, uh, you're a grandfather, you're a grandmother. You think, should I have done it this way? Should I have done it that way? Maybe I could have been more considerate here. Maybe I could have loved more there. Maybe I should have sent money. I shouldn't have sent money to my grandkids or my children. Maybe I should have done this. You can kill yourself (laughs) with self-judging all the time. And what Paul is saying here is, On the other side, even if you come to the conclusion where you can say to people, listen man, make room in in your heart for us, for we have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, we have exploited no one. He says, even if it's like that, I'm not justified by it. Justify mean, and I've mentioned last week, means to render righteous, to render holy, to render or put on display to bring into manifestation the righteousness. In other words, to to bring into the forefront that which God has promised in his resurrection. So what he's saying is, is, listen, your judgment about me, and if you find me innocent or guilty, and how you treat me based on your judgment about me, cannot bring into manifestation what God has promised me. Neither even my judgment about myself, nor that of a human court, cannot bring into manifestation what God has promised me. The only one that I stand before, the only one by whom I am justified is Christ, who will in the last day reveal what was truly in his heart and what is placed in my heart. That is how it is. So let us not judge before the time. Let us let Jesus Christ bring forth what he has brought forth. Let us not try and be the sources of life. He is the source of life. We believe in him. We trust him. Now, there's a lot to say about judgment and living in this world, but I was just thinking that we can know that even if we are at the place, and I want to make this known to you, where we can say we've wronged no one, we've corrupted no one, we've exploited no one, that we can also say, uh, my conscience is clear, I am not even justified by that. Second Corinthians twelve seventeen is a is a bit of a, 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 a duplication of that, but let me read it to you. Um, it says here in verse sixteen, be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet a crafty f- uh, fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. So what he's saying is basically, I didn't get try and get money uh, from you, but I uh, were very crafty in getting you into the gospel. He says, I, did I exploit you through any of the men I sent you? No, he did not. He says, I never exploited you. He found himself innocent as pertaining to the accusations that they are bringing against him because they brought the most horrible lies and accusations about him. But he says, I'm not justified by that. That is what he's saying. So what he's basically saying, and this is what we are getting into now, is that the gospel that he was preaching was not a gospel wherein you, was not the good news that says, People will always think good about you. They will always, you will, you will do things right. And once you've done everything right, then you will know that you are right. And because you know you are right, then that, then you'll be justified by that. I remember back in, um, back in the day when I just got into the gospel of grace. I would, before time, I was really into the law, you know, and looked at people's sins and those kind of things. And, um, 
I also felt that I never qualified. You know, when I would go to conferences and listen to these men of God with their expensive suits and expensive uh, glasses and hats, and I mean, you, I mean, there was a whole church fashion. You could see who is AFM, uh, Apostolic Faith Mission. You could see who is Assemblies of God by the way they wear the clothes the preachers wear and the cars they drive. You could see who was IFCC. Um, I think it was International Federation of Christian Churches back then in South Africa. I don't even know if they exist anymore. Uh, you could see that. You could see who was a vineyard group by the way they dress. Uh, but it, it was like a church culture there. You would look at that, I would look at that, and I would say, man, I, I, I never measure up. And then I got into the message of grace, and I became a judge. Um, and uh, then I was judging everybody on how wrong they are now. And then I would look at myself and say, well, you know, I don't have, even if I've done something wrong now by my own works, and I would look at my own works and, 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 and the gospel and those kind of things and became a judge of my own heart and tried to find life by declaring myself innocent by my works. And that was not justification. I'm not justified by saying that I'm not standing guilty before the law. Justification is by the power of the resurrection. Justification has got nothing to do with the law. It means to be justified with a brand new life, wherein I can freely love, freely be good, because of God bringing life forth in me, not by me judging myself innocent as pertaining to the law. I started to feel happy for only one reason. Well, there were many, but one of them were that um, I don't feel guilty anymore because I'm not under the law anymore. Well, that is true. Uh, you know, I don't stand under the law anymore, and I don't judge myself by the law anymore. And then whenever I would look at the law and I would find myself guilty, I would say, oh, but that passed away, so I can feel good now because I'm not guilty. It's a kind of a judgment. I don't have the right to feel good because I'm not under the law. Because then the people in the African bush who was not under the Ten Commandments, they were already happy they, and all of that. We just bother them by preaching to them. No. what Justification is not by uh, living a life where you're not conscious of what you do, uh, of, of, of right and wrong. Justification is when God justifies you in the sense of it's a just thing that he has promised you life and now manifests that life in you. That's justification. So uh, we're going now to, to Galatians, and we're going to talk a bit more about this as the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ that is conquered sin and death and that he now rules and that the rule of heaven has been inaugurated and that we have access unto life by his doing. That is his judgment and that is his life. So I'm justified by what? We are justified by grace. Through what? Through faith. We are saved by grace. We're not justified by works. We are justified, meaning we are manifested as the righteous by God's power of the resurrection, whereby he raises the dead and brings forth life. And it's just if we simply rely upon him because he's promised it from before the world began and he now manifests it in us. I want to read from Galatians 1 verse 6. He says, You're, I'm astonished 
Well, I, that is basically a whole sermon in itself, 27 minute, minutes. I think I can basically just stop here. But, um, I mean, you have slotted in. Let's go another 15 minutes or 20 minutes and uh, serve you with the same concept, but now from, from Galatians. Paul writes to the Galatians, he says, I am astonished or I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. So what is the grace of Christ? The grace of Christ, the word grace, means the divine influence upon the heart, that the, the influence on the heart that includes the manifestation in the life. So it basically talks about the power of the Holy Spirit upon a person's innermost being as well as the manifestation or what we would call the justification with life in this world, manifesting life in us. That is grace. The, and it includes gratitude. So he says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the influence that the resurrected Jesus Christ has on sinful people in bringing forth his life in them free from their works, where it is him influencing your heart plus him bringing forth life in you and where it will end up in even bodily immortality. Uh, I'm so amazed that you are so soon falling away from that message where it is God towards you, God in you, God manifesting his life into you where it is his doing and not your doing. I'm so so amazed that you so soon fell away. That is what Paul basically said there. He says, unto another gospel. Now, you know, there are... Uh, another gospel, we will get into that in verse 9. There is only one gospel, but just quickly, there are different gospels. There's the gospel, the good news, that the resurrected Christ will bring forth eternal life into you that will live basically like Jesus said. It is not I, or Paul said, it's not I work, but it is Christ who lives in me. The good that I do is not I who do it, but it's Christ living in me. That is called grace. Jesus said it. He said, the good works you see, it's not me who do it. It's not I who do it, but the Father in me that's doing the good works. Jesus said, I can do nothing of myself. Jesus couldn't conquer death of himself. It's impossible. He said, I could do nothing of myself. And whatsoever I do is what I see the Father does. So the good thing that I do is I'm seeing the Father doing this thing in me. So in the very same way, and that is called grace. So Jesus lived in the grace of God the Father. And the grace of God the Father was to bring forth a man called Jesus Christ. And we are now living in the grace of this Christ. To the point that we say the same thing. Jesus said the same thing. Paul said, it's not I who live, but it is Christ who's living in me. So there are different good newses. You get a good news. I mean, the bank preaches good news. Man, we can give you a loan. It can help you out of your misery. 
It, it is good news, but it's not the good news. A doctor can have good news and say, we've got new surgery that we can do and we can help you. You cannot see properly, but you will be seeing clearly after this for the rest of your life. Hallelujah. It is good news, but it's not the good news. It's not the gospel of Christ. It's a different good news. It's the good news of the doctor. It's not the good news of, the, of Christ. All good news is not the gospel. And we need to understand that. The fact that it sounds good doesn't mean it's the gospel. The, the, if I, I can come now and I can say, I've got good news for you, we can conquer poverty in the world. If, if Christians just start to give 10% of their money and we just distribute it to everybody in a, in a socialistic system, you know, we can help the world. That, that's good news. I, I mean, it might be to a certain degree, depending on where you are uh, in your politics, good news can be good news, especially for the person that's going to receive money for free, but it is not the gospel. You will never find a church say they don't preach the gospel, although they might be preaching the law from top to bottom, judging people. They're all the time busy with their systems and all of those kind of things. They will always say, no, we're preaching the gospel. Even the Muslim feels he's got good news. I mean, the Buddhist has got good news. The atheist feels he's got good news. He's got good news. There's no more angry God. And we've now, we've got good news. We can basically man up, see what, what is going on. Good news. You don't have to feel guilty for everything you are doing anymore. I mean, the atheist has got good news. But it's not the gospel of Christ. And when we talk about the gospel of Christ, we're not talking about the gospel of a certain person. We are talking about the good news of a certain person that has entered into a certain authority, which is that he is the one that, that saves from sin and death, and that that kingdom is now being inaugurated in his resurrection. He's seated at the right hand of the Father from where the Holy Spirit is poured out, which I still want to get into. Okay, um, we going to verse 7. It says here, it says, there is no other gospel, that, but there are some that trouble you and would pervert or turn around or put in reverse the gospel of Christ. That word trouble, man, let me see if I can find that word trouble quickly here um, in Galatians 1.7. I need to read to you the word trouble. If you, if you get a, a wrong gospel, it troubles you. We're studying it out, forgot to put it in the notes there. Um, but there are those that trouble you. So powerful. Here it is. To agitate you, to irritate, to trouble, to cause an inward commotion, to take away his calmness of mind, to disturb his quantanimity. So in other words, it, it, it is just like, you're disturbing a person, you know. He just, it, it is just like you are not living in an equilibrium anymore. You are now living in a place where you have no peace to disquiet, to take away rest, to make restless, to stir up. In other words, activating the flesh, the, the works of the law by which the flesh manifests, to trouble to strike one's spirit 
with fear and dread, to render anxious or full of distress, to be perplexed, to perplex the mind by uh, suggesting doubts. That is what it is. Bring you to a place where uh, equanimity is taking away, taken away. You you are not in a place of peace anymore. That is what he's what he's talking about. So he says here. There is no other gospel, but there are those that are troubling you, and they pervert the gospel. Pervert means to reverse the gospel. They take it back to the old system of the flesh, and they are troubling you. They are agitating you. And I tell you now, if we come with any other gospel, the gospel of the bank, what it will do is it will cause you inward commotion at the end of the day. It will take away your calmness at the end of the day. Yes, there is. I I mean... And and to me, I mean, there were times when I, um, you know, needed a car and I would borrow money from somebody or, you know, the bank or the whatever and pay it. And, and yes, it helps. But also, I'm not saying one shouldn't make debt. What I'm trying to say is there are different gospels. There's a gospel that that the 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 estate agent will preach to you. He will tell you this house will make you happy. There's a gospel that is that, that will say, follow these ten biblical principles and you will do better. There's a gospel that the psychologists preach. There's good news everywhere. I mean, no one can exist in this world without offering some form of a good news. But there's some good news that seems good. When you get involved in it, you find that you are losing your peace. You are finding that it brings forth a commotion in your heart. It takes away your calmness of mind. It disturbs you. It disquiets you. It brings forth unrest. It makes you restless. It brings forth trouble in you. It strikes your spirit, the deepest core of your heart, with fear and dread. If you listen to something and the core of your heart is struck with fear and dread, man, I tell you, it is not the gospel. If you if, if you hear a message and after a while you realize, I wonder if I qualify and I wonder if I've now done good enough or not or whatever, and the fear and dread start, it's not the gospel, man. Whatever tells you or talks to you to a point where it brings fear and dread to you and renders you anxious and distressed, it is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. We've discussed it yesterday, day before yesterday. We're sitting and we're organizing a conference here in South Africa with um, me and some of my friends. And, and we talked about the anxiety that is inside people when they believe wrong messages, especially when it comes to finances uh, and to church. They're so scared to get out of that system because if you get out of it, the anxiety and the fear that has already been installed into their hearts makes them live a life that is i mean i've 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 heard somebody on and i don't want to live in judgment or whatever but i heard somebody the other day say listen jesus christ stood i think i've mentioned it it, it really uh, upset me jesus christ stood at the offering box when he was taking up offerings for his ministry my goodness 
what a twisting of the scripture. Um, and then a woman came and threw in her last money, two coins. And Jesus basically said, he said to Jesus said to his disciples, uh, take the money and let's go. You know, he basically said, well, she gave more than all of you, but uh, we take the money and we go. Number one, it was not an offering Jesus took up. It was at the temple. It was not the offering bucket for Jesus' ministry where he was standing checking how much money people threw in. You know, it is not. I mean, people will still sit with the messages like that, listen to messages like that, continue to live in that, give their last. Ain't enough. Sorry for mentioning this, but no, I'm not sorry. I want to mention this. Like the other day, was, I, I, some, somebody would give their last money in the church for the preacher to take that money to, to, to give to his child to buy $2,000 worth of paintball balls so they can just shoot it into the air and play. But people gave their last money and then they would say, that's right. It's not right. It's not right. But I can say this, me judging that person, telling him it's not right, or even if what he did was good and I would say it is good, he would not be justified by that. The only way he would be justified is by life. But to me, I just think that is not life-giving and people would still sit in those messages, they would see those things, they would continue in the distress. Why? Because they've been troubled and they live in fear and dread and then they are taken captive by a fear and they live in dread. That is not what God wants. That is not God's, God's will for us. So Paul comes and he says here, if people come with another gospel, they will trouble you. They will put your heart in fear and dread and take away all tranquility from you. Because they reverse the gospel of Christ. Now, what would the reversing of the gospel of Christ be? The reversing of the gospel of Christ is this. First, the Jews believed that Jesus would be a political figure that takes over the, um, the Roman Empire. And then uh, the, the, the disciples also believed that after the resurrection, they said to Jesus, is this the time that you are now going to bring the kingdom of God or restore it unto Israel? So is, is this now our time? You've conquered death. You're greater than Rome. Obviously, they cannot kill you. Our leader cannot die anymore. Are we now going to battle and war? Are we taking up the sword now? Is this the time that you're going to do this now? What, what, what is this? So that's what they thought. So the gospel was preached as to the Jews back then as a Messiah's coming, delivering us from the rulership of these dictators, Rome and other nations. And we will be restored and we will then from there rule and enter into our rest. Then Jesus came, the disciples came, the gospel was revealed. And they said, no, it's not about a political figure. It's about Jesus being raised for all nations. And then they found the people that write to the Galatians, the Paul write to the Galatians, because some people came and preached and says, no, 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 it is about a nation. It is about a Jewish Messiah and reversing the gospel. That's what perversion means here in this context. Perverse, they, they, they pervert the gospel of Christ. And so they trouble people, turning it around. Then he goes on, he says, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, any false good news, as I've mentioned now to you, then what we've, if they preach anything else than what we've originally preached, let him be accursed. 
When we look at John 14.27, I'm talking about just going a bit back to this gospel thing that I'm talking about. John 14.27 says, Peace I give you. And let's, let's go to that. It says, Peace I give you, not as the world gives. Remember talking about being troubled? He says, Peace I give you. This is what he says here. Uh, this is now verse 25, John 14, 25. Jesus talks about him going away, ascending on high, and so forth. He says, All this have I spoken while I was still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, the one who will speak for you. If you stand in a court of law, you've got your Advocate. This is not a, a, a court of law setting, but just to help us, and I'm using just a, a worldly example here. When we have an Advocate, we speak, he knows what we need to say and what is true and right and what is the truth according to uh, what he would see. And then he would, in front of the judge, he would speak on behalf of us. So he would take everything that we actually want to say and he'll bring it forth, he'll manifest it. So I would say here is a good way of thinking of it this way. It says, he says, um, Jesus says, I have spoken while I was with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, or he will, he will be your voice. He will be the voice of what I'm doing in you. He'll bring it into manifestation. He will teach you all things, plus he will remind you of everything that I have said. Then he says, Peace I leave you. In other words, the spirit that will bring forth the life of the Father in you. Peace I leave you. A harmonious life. I, I leave you with the promise that there will be harmony between the life that God lives in heaven and the life you live here. God has got inner peace. You will have inner peace. They will also, you'll find the Holy Spirit looking at the harmony or looking at the Father and what is in Jesus, and they will take off what Jesus is, which is the perfect harmony between God and a physical human, and he will give it unto you. What will he do? He'll bring your life, he'll bring your works, he'll bring who you are into the same frequency. He'll bring that tranquility, not just of mind, not just of heart, but tranquility even in your actions, in including your feelings and all those kind of things. He'll do that. That is what he'll do. He'll advocate uh, for you. He'll, he'll bring the true version of who you really are in Christ. He'll bring it forth. He'll speak it in your life. Isn't that beautiful? I hope you get what I'm saying there. We even find, find Titus 2, verse 11, say the same thing. It says here, for the grace of God has appeared. Remember what Paul says and when we get further on into Galatians into chapter 11 there, he says, he says that the gospel that I preach, and I'm going to cut it short here because I've got another 15, 20 minutes left on this, but um, the gospel that, we, that I preach, Paul says, I didn't get it from man, neither is it according to man. It's not according to the systems of this world. It's according 
it's it's in accordance to the union between God the Father and the man Jesus, where Jesus in his physical body is in full harmony with the fullness of God. And the good news that I'm telling you now is the good news that the harmony that there is between the man Jesus and God himself, which is the fullness of God in bodily form, that that harmonious relationship has now come to Towards us, wherein the Spirit of God is bringing us into the same frequency. He is, he is starting to bring us in harmony with God. And the first place that takes place is in your spirit, in your heart, in your inner man, in your mind. And then as we believe upon this and live in this truth, we find that even our actions start to harmonize with who God is. And that is the gospel. Even our bodies will be in full harmony with the full existence of God, which is eternal life, empty grave. Glory to God. For the grace of God has appeared. Paul was on his way to Damascus. He says, nobody taught me this gospel. He says, but Christ appeared to me. The grace of God. What is the grace of God? It is Jesus. God's doing. On a, on a human that was mortal, the man, Christ, seated at the right hand of God, wherein he is doing the same unto us. That is, when that appeared, Paul says, I wasn't taught this by man. I didn't get this by revelation. Some people say that, 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 that and, and I thought it years ago, is that Paul went and then he was saying, uh, sitting in teaching classes where, the, where Jesus would teach him. No. He got the full understanding when he saw the resurrection. He said it was by revelation. Revelation means the, 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 the curtain being opened up and the truth being revealed. And that happened when Jesus appeared to Paul. Then from that appearing, he interpreted everything. That is what happens. Is the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us. To say no to ungodliness. Now, didn't the Lord teach us to say no unto ungodliness? No. The Lord just said, this is ungodly and you should not do it. It didn't teach us how to get it right. But grace teaches us. In other words, if you take a teacher that has taught a child, I mean, you, your child goes to school, then the teacher teaches him, and how, how do you know the teacher has taught him? is if he, at the end of the day, passes his exam or get a distinction. Then you know he's been taught well. So what was the teacher's job? The teacher's job was to get the child from knowing and living in a certain way to knowing and living in a different way. Becoming more mature. So when grace teaches us, it doesn't give us the knowledge of what's right and wrong. It takes us and manifests who God is in us. That's how grace teaches us. It teaches us, listen to this, to say no to ungodly and worldly passions. How do we say no to it? By God bringing forth life. The no we have to worldly lusts is the power of the resurrection in us. And to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Now, didn't the Lord tell us to live like that? The Lord 
told us to live like that, but it was no teacher as pertaining to getting it right. All that the law could teach us is that you cannot, because by the law is the knowledge of sin, but by grace is the knowledge, the experiential knowledge of the life of God. That's the grace message. Glory to God. So, let me end off um, by just reading this in John, uh, and then I think we can quickly just jump back to um, Galatians here. Again, now, with fresh eyes. All this have I spoken while I was with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, the Parakletos, the one that's called alongside to help. In other words, the one that is helping to bring into manifestation who God is. Whom the Father will send in my name, in the authority of the resurrection. He will teach you all things. He will bring into man, like a good teacher. He'll take you from, if you teach somebody, let's say somebody was in an accident, and then uh, he needs rehabilitation. You know, he cannot walk again. Then somebody's going to teach him how to walk. So how... Uh, what is the job of that person? That person is to take that person from not being able to walk unto walking. So the Holy Spirit's job is to take us from not being able to love to love. How? By the renewing of our bodies, of our being, by the power of new creation, recreating us unto the new, wherein we harmonize with who God is. He will teach you all things and he'll remind you of everything I have said to you. That's a different point. I'm not getting into that. Peace I leave you. In other words, harmony I leave you. My harmony I give unto you. My peace, my tranquility, my life basically. I do not give you as the world gives. The world, when the world gives peace, it gives a peace that they, they offer you peace they cannot perform. That is it. I've seen very little politicians offering a peace that they can bring forth. They don't. And even if they do, it doesn't last. It's only until the next guy and then it's gone again. It says, do not let your hearts be troubled or do not be afraid. And then we go back to Galatians there. It says, basically, do not believe any other gospel whereby you will be troubled, where you will be distressed, where you will have, uh, have, have your life perverted and have the truth perverted. Do not accept any other message. Just believe me. Amen and amen. Well, thank you so much that I could minister this message to you today. I trust that this has blessed you and enriched you and brought confirmation uh, I put this on the table. I believe this. I live by this. I put it on the table. Go and think. Go and talk to God about it. Uh, wrestle with the Lord, if you want to call it like that, in thinking about it, pondering, saying, God, I hear Bertie say that. Uh, yes, I believe you've spoken through him to me, but I also want to hear you say it to me in a way that is true for my heart, true for, for, for who I am, in a flavor and a, and a, and, and a way which 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 I can understand from where I live. Glory to God. Thank you so much that I could serve you with this message. Know that you are deeply loved by God. God bless you.